So we're picking up part two. Unworthy, unoffended. We're looking at the Syrophoenician woman in the Matthew and Mark account. She's given very few verses. I don't want to even, I don't want to go backtrack over everything. I just feel like the Lord's speaking something in it, so I'm just going to continue right here, right now. We're in Matthew chapter 15. The woman is refused a response by Jesus when she comes and acknowledges he's the Messiah. He does not respond to her immediately. So she again comes before him after she's told to leave. Jesus says, I'm sorry, I'm not here for you. I'm here to redeem the the lost sheep of Israel. I'm here to redeem and purchase back the inheritance of God's people. And I'm sorry, but you're not one. You're a Gentile. You come from a land that, that despised the people of God. I'm sorry, I'm not here for you. And as we just talked about, she bowed down. She depressed herself to the ground and cried out, Lord, help me. Y'all, do we understand that? She didn't argue with Jesus. She didn't defend herself or defend her condition. Oh yeah, but, 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 but. But I'm here. But I'm calling you Messiah. But I'm this, but I'm that. No. She didn't defend herself. She had one thing to say. Lord, help me. And so as we just ended, surely Jesus now pours out his his immeasurable amount of compassion upon her, right? No. He goes from silence to offense to greater offense. And I read some things that are just so utterly ridiculous that soften this and said, literally, okay, literally, y'all, teachings that are long, lengthy teachings that expound on how the real, the real intent of Matthew behind this word dogs means it's translated puppies. And so it was actually favorable to feed the puppies under the table. How many lengths will we take to soften the offense of Jesus, the Messiah, just to make us feel better? Well, Jesus really was telling her that he wants to feed the puppies crumbs. Come on. Seriously. I'm being serious. Like, educated teachers of the scriptures are saying puppies. And not just puppies, like, okay, let's just say that that is, like, textually true. But they use that to promote some weird doctrine about how kind Jesus is and he didn't want to hurt her feelings. I don't believe it. Jesus answers her and says, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. So what did she say? I'm not a dog. How dare you say that? Or did she say, oh, oh, I'm sorry I'm a dog. I'm so sorry I'm a dog. I'm no good. I'm... No. 
she says something very specific. Let's go to the Mark account. Again, Mark chapter 7. She answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She said, Yes, you're right, Jesus, Messiah, teacher. You're right. You're right. You are speaking what is true. I'm not here to oppose you. She got that more than the disciples did. She understood that more than the followers of the rabbi. More than the students. And so Jesus says to her, because of this answer, go your way. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Y'all, do we understand this? Oh, well, yes, amen, Jesus. Oh, man, the miracle worker, Jesus, he just... Y'all, listen, the child was not present. Jesus never saw her. Jesus never touched her. Jesus never declared a healing over her. All he did was somehow confirm that the statement, the actual word of this woman's mouth of her speaking something true to Jesus in a place of complete unworthiness and unoffensiveness in the demon possession of her daughter was already past tense as soon as she said that and it was done. That's incredible to me. This woman literally says a statement and the demon possession of her daughter is immediately referred to by Jesus himself as past tense. Over. When you said that, your daughter was delivered. What in the world? That is incredible to me. This is a unique sign and wonder to me. This outsider the stranger. We don't know, like, her condition. If, like, was she... I don't, we don't know anything. We're not told of her condition. We're not told, like, because she believed this, because she believed that, because, you know, we're not told any of those things. This isn't conditional. If you go home and if you say these things, do these things... Oh, Lord, son of David, she started. A woman who should not have even spoken to Jesus in public. One thing that I found was interesting to note, and we're not told, and I'm not trying to add something to the Scripture other than speculation, is generally the only woman that would talk to a man she didn't know in public was a prostitute. Add that to her list of possible qualities who knows how lengthy this woman's laundry list of, of like offensive qualities of who she actually was. But she didn't, she didn't argue the point. She didn't argue with anything Jesus presented to her. No defense. None. She was not offended at her condition. And I'm telling y'all, I believe like, 
There's some more things I want to say about this, but I believe that that's what we have to reach into, grab the heart of that, and pull it out. She had no defense. Brothers and sisters, how many miles away from that are we? When the word of the Lord comes through the written eternal scriptures, through a dream, through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through a word from a brother or a sister in the body, how many miles away are we from how this woman responded to Jesus? When was the last time anybody brought something to you or to me that was offensive and we had absolutely nothing to say other than, amen, you're right. You, you've pegged me. Brother, that is absolutely true. That's me. Do we have any circumstances of that being true? At the very least, oh, amen, that, that's entirely possible. I know my condition. I know my depravity. I know my history. I know I'm mixed. I know I'm an outsider in many ways of my thinking and in my heart's condition towards matters. I know that I often oppose the kingdom of God because I'm still trying to shake off this old man. Oh, Lord, help me. Where is that in us, in me? Where is that? I want that so bad. And I so desire to be amongst people who do that. Why? Because this is when the unexplainable miracle working of Jesus, the Messiah, is done. I have to believe. I'm just somehow convinced that I know Jesus didn't need informed of anything in the sense of a natural man telling Jesus something he did not know. But I think within this, when that woman said that truth, and she said about the about the even the crumbs, even the crumbs are down here for me. I think it's very possible she was thinking back on the, the feeding of the thousands, possibly days or weeks previous, because in the timeline, in both scriptures, it's right there. The chain of events is very close from what we're told. I would assume it's very possible that she knew how Jesus took just this tiny basket of fish and loaves and fed thousands of people. And there was leftovers. They were satisfied. They were full. The people with Jesus were satisfied and full. And there was still food left over for whoever else might be hungry and need it. Maybe there were hungry people that came after that. Maybe she was one that followed after the multitudes when they left and those baskets of crumbs. Maybe she saw, look, there's something for me here. When Jesus the Messiah does a miracle, there's something even for me. The most undeserving one. Y'all, do you see yourself as undeserving? Do you see yourself like this woman saw herself? Because unless you're 
some Jewish Israelite listening (laughs) to this podcast, you are her. You are this woman. We are on the outside. Any good thing that is extended to us by Jesus the Messiah is absolutely undeserved. Undeserved. More so than any other people on the earth to ever live. The Christian American is more undeserving of the favor and hand and blessing and and help of God than any other man on the whole planet throughout all of history. Do we understand that? She embraced her condition. Could we say by her by her actions she said, "Hey, you're right. I know." Oh, I know. I am. I am like a dog, Jesus. I've got no problem with that. I need food. And you have food. You have life. She was entirely unqualified to approach Jesus. I don't, again, just to kind of hit this point, I don't believe Jesus needed her to teach him something, but I think her truth, I, I'm convinced when I've read over this and read over this and read over this, that when she spoke that truth that Jesus says is what in fact brought healing to her daughter at another location, the word of her mouth I think when, when she said that to Jesus, I think Jesus, fully God, fully man, said, huh, you know what? That's right. That's right. <laughs> That's true. This redemption of God is so big and so inclusive. It is for you. Yes, I came to redeem the lost sheep, to gather them in. That's true, yes, that's my purpose. But the love of God, the eternal work of God is so expansive and huge, it's going to overflow like those baskets of food all across humanity. Syrophoenician, Gentile, Canaanite. is the gospel extended to anyone who would say what this woman said which is yes I'm a dog I've got nothing I'm an enemy of God and so are my fathers and my father's fathers and everybody else that goes back yes we opposed the work of God I don't deserve to be here I don't deserve to talk to you, Jesus. I don't deserve to ask you for one single thing. And your followers have made that very clear, by the way. But Jesus, oh Lord, Messiah, help me. 
Real quick, Acts chapter 13, verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us. And he quotes Isaiah. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. And when the Gentiles, the undeserved, the unworthy, the lowly, the outcast, the opposers of the kingdom of God, when they heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many had been, as had been appointed to eternal life, believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout the whole region. What happened right there? What happened? The undeserving outcast, nobodies realized they were being invited in. They were being invited into the eternal plan of God. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? We can know God? There's enough left of the plan of God in the basket for me? Praise the Messiah. Praise be to the Messiah. He's not just come and bought back the people of God. He is so awesome and huge and full of compassion and God desires that none should perish to the point that even me, even I can come in. Oh, praise be to the Messiah. I choose to depress myself on the ground. My face goes to the ground in adoration saying, Oh, Lord, help me. Even me, help me, God. The shakah of the Old Testament. The depressing of ourselves prostrate before the Messiah saying, Oh, help me. And friend, that does not need to be one night. It was never ever God's intention for us to have a one moment of that. I know people have said, literally, literally said, I don't beg for anything. I'm a child of the Most High. I don't beg for anything. Oh, that grieves my heart so bad. I think we've missed the sonship reality, and I, I briefly touched on this a couple weeks ago. I think we've missed it. My son, although now eight years old, will always be my son. He will always be beneath me. He will always need to look to his daddy. The inheritance is a beautiful reality of complete dependence for the rest of our life to look unto the Father and say, Oh God, may I always remember I'm undeserving. Thank you that there's enough for me for the rest of my days to be fed. You are my food. 
Yes, I'm maturing. Yes, I'm changing. It's not in any way just making us this eternal spiritual infant. It's not about that. I'm just a baby. Nobody's saying that here. This is not, no one's looking for an excuse to be a spiritual babe forever. I'm just saying the posture of our heart for the rest of our days has to be completely rooted and established in humility, unworthiness, and undeservedness. Is there anything in me that lives as though I'm deserving? We've got, to, we've got to just peer into our hearts and ask that question. Friend, is there anything in you that lives as if you are deserving of the goodness of Jesus? Because you've been in church long enough, or you've served long enough, or you've loved Him enough, or you've studied enough. We've got to eradicate it. We've got to take it out. It's got to be removed. It has to. It keeps us down. It keeps us back. It keeps us... It keeps us vulnerable to that temptation of pride and arrogance and exaltation of ourselves that says, you've got it now, brother. Look at you. Look at you. You're so godly, you can just do it yourself now. You're so mature, just be in God. Just be in Him. Enjoy the ride. You have attained spiritual maturity. You're no beggar. Oh, gosh. I want to read this just because I love this. And then I'm going to bring this to a close. As if there's not enough more in this woman's story about the awesome work of the Messiah speaking truth and someone receiving it unoffended. I'm going to jump all the way back to 2 Samuel with David. David covenanted with Jonathan. It's an awesome relationship. And they made a covenant and they made a pact. David told Jonathan and Jonathan David that like, basically in summary, for the sake of time, like I'm, this covenant's good, brother, for you and your household. Generations that follow, I will honor this covenant from today on. We will be as the same. Your children will be my children. You understand? I mean, like... I don't have time to go into all that. I'm just going to read one teeny, tiny, tiny piece about this man with the crazy name Mephibosheth. Most of y'all probably know the story. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. There's nothing but chaos. Everything's kind of crazy. All these things have transpired. Long story short, Mephibosheth is in this land. He's hiding. He's crippled, lame. He may not even have legs. I mean, it's a long... Oh, man. This guy had it. He didn't have it good at all. He's hiding. He's, he's hiding away for his life. And in a nutshell, he, he basically assumes David's going to hunt him down and kill him. 
Read it for yourself because I don't have time for all the details. Long story, very much shortened. David sends this message out to say, are there any descendants of Jonathan? Are there, does he have any sons anywhere? This guy comes back, yes, he has this son, Mephibosheth, he's in land such and such. And basically, David says, I want to meet him. <laughs> well, Mephibosheth, this isn't looking good for him. And so we'll just, we'll read real short. David said, this is 2 Samuel chapter 9. Is there any, anyone left of the house of Saul that I might show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said, are you Ziba? And he said, yes, I'm your servant. He says, are there, is there anyone out there? And they said, yes, there's a son of Jonathan. He's crippled in both feet. So David says, well, where is he? Well, he's in the house of Michar, the son of so-and-so-and-so-and-so. He's in Lodabar. Lodabar was like, <laughs> if you could create a movie scene from the little bit I know about it, it's just like where everybody who just wanted to just get away and like live out a nasty, yucky life of deprivation lived. Like That's where the, the outcast scums landed. Lodabar was not a very desirable place to go, and that's where this man, Mephibosheth, was. So King David sent and brought him from the house, from Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David. What did he do? He fell on his face, prostrated himself. Do Okay, so like, man, I don't even have time. I don't even have time. David said, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth said, here is your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear. I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather, Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Okay. Okay, Mephibosheth, you think he he stood up, dusted himself off? (laughs) What'd I do that for? Cool, David. Thanks, man. Thanks, bro. I'm cool. Brushes the dirt off. Oh, I feel... Well, he couldn't stand up. He was crippled, but I'm not trying to make this (laughs) lighthearted. So whatever that looked like, and he, he brushes the dust off, and oh, why did I do that for? I was, I was groveling before your feet, and you're here to, to bless me. So yeah, thanks, David. Thanks, King David. I'll take that. No. <laughs> Verse 8, again, at the news that he's going to be invited to the king's table, again, he prostrated himself. And he said, what is your servant? that you should regard a dead dog like me. Are you serious? (laughs) Sound familiar? I'll paraphrase. It goes on. David says, you and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land. Well, he he tells um, Saul's servant Ziba to do that. Take care of, basically take care of all these things for Mephibosheth. And he says, you're going to eat at my table regularly. Mephibosheth, your servant, not your servants, I'm, I'm making, I'm butchering this. Your, your children, everybody come. Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. 
He lived in Jerusalem and ate at the king's table regularly. Okay, so like, I just want to put the icing on the cake here with this. This is just one of several other scriptures that really lend itself to clearly painting the picture of our heart's position and condition. How do you see yourself? Have you got to a point where you are, okay, so like we have to be so careful, we have to be mature, we have to be confident, we have to walk free from condemnation, we have to be careful we're not giving ourselves to the, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nobody, that, that's not what I'm talking about, and, and we need to grow up and realize those aren't the same, because a casual observation would say, oh, you're telling me I just need to grovel all day and just be no good. I'm not saying that. I'm saying our heart's posture before the Messiah is, Lord, help me today. I need you today as much as I needed you that day I gave you my life. The day you regenerated my heart and took out that nasty, gross, wretched, sinful heart of stone and gave me that new heart of flesh that can feel you and know you, I need you as bad right now as I needed you then. I probably even realize how I need you even more than I realized I needed you then. To me, that's the sign of maturity. I don't know how many times I've said this in my life, but I listened to a, a, a sermon 15 years ago that said, the sign that a man has repented is that he's still repenting. Unworthy, unoffended. So what, on your own merit, are you convinced that you deserve? Even in God. We have to ask this question. We have to look at this unworthy Syrophoenician woman in all that she gave herself to just to get to the Messiah and declare he's right and he's true and he's Lord and the food that she is in need of, that there's enough for her. There's enough for her little girl. So friends, do we get this? Do we get this word? Do we receive the truth within it? Do, and not just even be open to it. Oh my gosh, what if we actually pursued it? What if we actually pursued hearing, receiving the word of correction and truth and offense? Like, I mean set, like, this will kill me. Offense will kill me. When it originates in the spirit and truth of the Messiah. If he speaks it, it is sent to accomplish a work of eternal purpose in our lives. So may we be people who are fully aware that we are unworthy, 
And may we respond to embracing what we hear, what Jesus tells us, what he speaks through the truth of his word, what the spirit of God within us convicts us of. May we listen and receive what a brother or a sister speaks into our life. May we recognize our unworthiness and say, that's true. That's true. I will be unoffended. I will be unmoved and unoffended. My response will be, Lord, help me. Amen.